from the social justice classroom inside Cuboid Secondary, this is Voices. A youth-created podcast driven by a steadfast commitment to improving the world around us. Hi, my name is Jasmine Dule. And my name is Lerdala Elia. And you are listening to Voices Podcast. Today, we are excited to be interviewing Shivali Prasad, model, journalist, content marketer, and activist who has been recognized for being outspoken about her experiences as a woman of color in the modeling industry. Shivani Prasad was featured in many articles such as New York Times, News NYC, Cosmopolitan, and others, as well as writing for Teen Vogue and Anti-Racism Daily. She has also modeled for companies such as Nordstrom, Target, Bear Minerals, Laura Mercier, Paul Mitchells, David's Bridal, Air, Crombie, and Fitch, and many more, and is currently with Muse Modeling Industry. So welcome to our podcast. It's so great to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're just going to get right into it with our first question. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, specifically about what got you into activism, surrounding modeling rights and racial inequality? Yeah, I think when I started modeling, this is like, um, you know, Instagram wasn't like as well known as yet. Um, And social media was definitely a thing, but it wasn't as out there, I guess, or as prevalent as it is right now. So it was quite a long time ago. And what I saw was really only what I saw, you know, in the mall or on TV kind of thing. It wasn't really... um, in our face in the same way. So for me, you know, I just never really saw anybody that looked like me. So there was that one aspect of it where I was always interested in like saying something or being something different or being spoken out, sorry, being um, outspoken because I think it, it was just really important to speak out when you're somebody that doesn't look like anyone else in the industry. Uh, The other part of it was when I got to the industry, just realizing how heavily unregulated and quite frankly, like how dangerous it is for models who don't have good agencies or just aren't as informed. Uh, It's really not regulated at all. And it can be a really dangerous industry to be a part of for so many reasons. And so when I realized specifically when I was in London with a particular agency in in Europe and I wasn't getting paid and I I realized I was getting gouged on like my rent from the agency and just all these different things. I just realized these girls are workers too. And nobody, there's really no one there to stand up for them. And we have nobody to go to because your agency is who you answer to, but who do you go to when the person that you answer to is specifically the person that doesn't have your back? We have no HR. There's no one to go to. So I think from an activism stance, I always thought it was really interesting and really important to speak about being a minority in the industry and all the the adversity you face there. But then at the same time, just as a worker, just as an independent contractor, just the lack of structure that there was and just knowing that there was just thousands and thousands of people all over the world dealing with this in this industry, I just ended up, you know, having to say something and then just getting involved with different groups that were that were working on it because there there were people that were working on it. I just didn't know that they were. Mm -hmm. Building off of that, in past articles, you mentioned you didn't always see yourself uh, going into modeling. What did you think that your career path could have been at the time? (laughs) That's such a funny question. Um, I 
So I have a bachelor's, like I have an honors bachelor's in political science for McMaster and I have a regular bachelor's in French. So I always thought that I was going to work for the government. Um, I think I always kind of had that fire in me to like do something of social impact. You know, I'm a product of indentured labor. I'm Trinidadian, I'm Indo-Caribbean. And so I think when that's in your history, at least for me, it was just always sort of this underlying thread of, I think why I am the way that I am as an immigrant and just like as a when I, growing up as a working class person. And so I always was really interested in politics, specifically after like my grade 10 civics class. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. This kind of thing is what this affects you no matter what, which I thought was so interesting. And I just thought there was such a potential to do good. And so I was really in, always interested in it, interested in it from then. And continued to become more and more interested in it in uh, university. But then I was just, it was so confusing. There were just so many options of things to do. I realized that like, for me, university wasn't exactly like, it just wasn't the way that I learned. And so I did well, but I didn't do as well as I wanted to do. And I didn't really, I got into a few post-grad programs, but I didn't get into the main masters that I wanted to get into. And so at that time, if it wasn't for modeling, I probably would have just kept pursuing it. But when modeling happened, I was just like, well, I have nothing to lose now because I didn't get into the masters that I wanted to. So maybe that track isn't for me. Uh, so in the past, you were also featured <clears throat> in articles such as New York Times highlighting injustices and discrimination in the modeling field. Could you tell us a little bit about the time that you felt treated differently or based on your identity as a person of color? Yeah, I mean, I could tell you about a hundred times. Um, I think a lot of times I will say there is the tokenism. Like there's definitely you realize, oh, I'm the only like Indian person on set. Okay, like I can tell why I'm here. Um, or a lot of times even at castings, especially when I first started modeling like 10, 12 years ago, it was always like there would be like, 30 white girls, five black girls, five Asian girls, and me. Like, it was always very, like, I would say definitely we were probably the least represented, at least in my experience. I can't speak to anybody else's. But there was always, you know, those kind of, like, little microaggressions and things you would notice in those in those areas, in those kind of situations. But on set, I guess, like, the most blatant thing is, like, First of all, just people not even knowing where I'm from at all. I feel like in Canada, if you say Trinidadian, but you look Indian, people understand, oh, there's diaspora, you know? But in America, no. <laughs> in America, people are like, oh, I thought you were Indian. And it's like, well, I am Indian. But like, you know, it's not like so simple all the time. So there was always that. Um, and then also just like, just weird comments that I don't even think people know what they're saying. Like people would be like, Oh, uh, it's great when we can book you because, you know, we, we, uh, we hit our ethnic quota without having to deal with the black girl's hair. That's insane. Or like someone had said to me, a photographer once said to me, like, um, it's crazy. Like you're, you're so beautiful because you have really dark skin, but really Caucasian features. Yeah, that's definitely insensitive. I'm like, what are Caucasian features? <laughs> you guys have big noses. I, I have, we have big, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> there are no, like, I don't know what that means. So like, I think it's like really microaggressive, but also just like, not always intentional, but people just aren't educated, right? They don't know, they just don't know what they're saying. So there was a lot, there was definitely a lot of, a lot of that type of 
a lot of that type of thing, you know, and even just even more blatantly, like I remember when I went to Paris for the first time to try to get agencies and they would literally be like, oh, we don't really have like a lot of women of color. Like we already have a few. So, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, so, you know, it, it spans from sort of like these little things to these like very blatant things. So at that time, would you have given any advice to yourself? Sometimes when you, what I learned is like when you are operating in a system that is already oppressive, you have to, you have to work with what you have because sometimes it's not always going to work to just try to overhaul things right away. So what I did was like, for example, in, you know, in Paris, I was like, okay, well, they don't, these people don't want to sign me right now you know, screw them. I'll just go get signed in other places. So I did. And then eventually I did get an, an agent in Paris, right? I have an agency in Paris now, or like, um, you know, same thing in the beginning, I was really lucky. My agency that I have in Toronto, that's my mother agent. They were, they always pushed for lots of women of color to always get signed, but they were very aware that like a lot of agencies are still saying, Hey, they already have this many brown girls. They already have this many Asian girls or whatever. Um, and so, you know, to me, that just meant, okay, well, I just have to, that doesn't mean, you know, that I have to like hate on this one agency or whatever it is. It just means that they're not there yet and they will get there, but I'm not going to wait for you to get there. So I would say, I would just tell myself, just keep going and the people that are behind will will catch up. And for some of them, it might be too late, but you don't need to wait on anybody. Just keep going and, you know, you're good at your job. So if people don't realize that it's really their loss, that's kind of like what I would say. I would have never, ever believed that, but I would have said it. To, I, I would say that to myself now. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I haven't always been able to see myself represented in the media and based on past articles, I believe you had similar experiences, kind of as you mentioned before. Do you think it's important for youth to have people who look like them and share similar backgrounds with them and identities in the media or specifically in modeling? And if so, why? I mean, for sure. Right? You can't you can't be what you can't see. So even when I was growing up, a lot of the time, like when people would tell me to, to do it, uh, to be a model, I'd be like, I can't do that. Like, I'm. I'm not pretty. I don't look like that. I'm, there's no validation. Like I don't, there's no brown girls that are modeling. Why would I do that? How can I do that really? Um, so there, I definitely think it's important because media specifically does provide us with a level of validation, belonging, um, and just that ability to, you know, be able to be what you can see. Right. So there's that part of it. Um, also, like media should just be reflective of society as a whole because it creates all these different issues for people, as I said, like whether it's validation or or whether it's, you know, uh, body dysmorphia and lots of issues. If you don't see people that look like you in the images that you see every day. However, I will say that I do not believe that representation in and of itself is inherently progressive. I think that representation is the surface level of what we should be getting. If the people behind the camera, and I can tell you the majority of the time, the people behind the scenes are not diverse. Mm -hmm. Representation can only take you so far. And quite frankly, that is what they want. They want you to believe that representation by itself is very progressive. And it's just not. It's just, it's just touching the, it's the tip of the iceberg of what we deserve and what we should be getting. So although I do believe that it is super important and it was super important for me, when you dig deeper, you realize, I mean, for example, if you look at the prime minister of 
um, of the UK, right? That's not my version of representation. He can be as brown as he wants. <laughs> He's not progressive. He doesn't care about my people. He's not making decisions for people like me. So I think that you always have to look at it with that with that nuance. And representation on the surface is great, but at the same time, you have to look at the other systems that are in place. And if diversity and if you know the inequalities and things aren't being addressed there, then I think that's a much bigger problem. Yeah. And when you were younger, you kind of mentioned how there's like a lot of colorism, especially like in Bollywood movies, and it made you feel not great about yourself. Do you think that do you think that had a negative effect on your self-esteem growing up? Oh, totally. And like, I don't know about you, but like when you're brown, like it happens in your own family, like my own, my, my own cousin, like not my cousins, but my own like aunts, whoever, my, even my mom, like, you know, they drink this Kool-Aid of like, you have to be fair to be beautiful. Don't say, don't go in the sun, blah, blah, blah. So totally. Like I never believed it. I remember I worked at this coffee shop at McMaster. I don't even know. I don't know if it's still there. It probably is. It's called Union Market. And um, this woman came up to me um, and she, I think she was like a guest speaker or something. And I I was like at the cash and she was like, Oh, you have, you have really beautiful skin. And I was like, really me? I was like, oh, I just feel like my skin is so dark. And just never looked at it that way. And she was like, wow, I, she was a black woman. She was like, I can't believe you just said that because I literally came here to, to do a lecture on, on shadism and on like, you know, post-colonial structures and how they have just trickled into so many other areas of, of society and like shadism and the beauty industry being one of them. And uh, I remember doing research on it afterwards and looking at it and being like, wow, that is exactly what happened to me because of the way that, you know, my family experienced colonialism and, and white supremacy. They truly believed that we were lesser than because we're not fair skinned. And the people that are fair skinned are more beautiful, more important, will get better jobs or more successful, you know, the list goes on. So it definitely did affect my self-esteem for a really long time. And I think it wasn't until I was in my 20s, like I'm in my 30s now, but it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I really started to fight back and push back on that and realize and, and just be like, why? Why do we even believe this? Because you know, because of white supremacy is ridiculous. Like, so it finally, I was able to sort of deconstruct and unlearn that stuff, but it took a really long time. Right. Yeah. So we also read about the a website that you are a member of the Leadership Council on the Model Alliance, and you've spoken at places such as Columbia Law School about workers' rights and exploitation and racism in the modeling field. What are some other projects you have worked on with this organization and what do you hope to achieve? For sure. Um, one of them, so I'm not part of it anymore, but I know there was a huge program. I don't know if they're still trying to implement it, but there was a huge program that I was super lucky to be able to advise on and it was called the Respect Program. So it was a worker-driven social responsibility program for models and other workers in the in the fashion industry. And basically, um, it we followed the work, worker-driven social responsibility model, which was that it was, it's basically an ability for independent contractors to quote unquote unionize. Obviously you can't unionize when you're an independent contractor, but it's a way for you to kind of do that. Sorry. I just want to make sure it's not my boss messaging me, although she's super cool. But anyways, um, okay. Yeah, it's fine. Um, 
So I was really just so proud of being able to work on the RESPECT program and just that program, learning about it with the lawyers and and academics that we worked with also really helped me get really obsessed with worker-driven responsibility in general and also just like the idea of workers' rights and just realizing how much that really was like already flowing in my veins. So there's that. And then the other one we worked on that I got to work on, which is super cool, is in during COVID, we put out this survey to models of basically like how were they experiencing the changes to our job during COVID and the lack of work kind of thing. And we produced that along with the Worker Institute at Cornell. And I got to do original research with like helping to write the survey and all of that. And so just putting that out and having my name on a published research paper like that is is so cool. And we found so much information in that. And it was original research. And some of the most important stuff came out of that. Like we realized that like black models, for example, were much less equipped by their agencies um, in order to deal with issues like applying for unemployment and things like that. And just, we learned that there was, uh, there was of course, you know, even racial discrepancies in that area and that looking at research like that had to also be very intersectional. So I would say those two things are probably like two things that I'm the most proud of. I'm also proud of getting to speak at the New York Times. Um, That was really cool. The um, City University of New York, their School of Labor invited us as well, where I got to speak alongside the Coalition of Immokalee Workers in Florida, which they were a huge, they're such a successful group of of people that did a worker-driven social responsibility program as well. And so, yeah, there's there's so many things I did with them that, that I was really proud of. So just adding on to that, are there some other issues you use your platforms to advocate for? I think anything rights related or workers' rights related. So definitely right now, huge stuff is happening with education workers, obviously in Ontario. So I'm trying to speak about that. I'm trying to figure out how I can create more content about it. But sometimes I just think there's already so many smart people making content about it and people that work in those areas. And I don't know if I could add anything other than just reposting what they're doing. So I'm trying to figure that out right now. That's my like internal battle right now. But um, yeah, definitely anything workers rights related, anything essential worker related, uh, that kind of stuff just is what really puts like a fire in me. But just growing up working class and, you know, seeing your parents be essential workers and things, things like that, I think we'll, we'll do that. Also anything, um, I guess there's a lot of Gen Z stuff that I really care about too, because I just think that this generation is really going to change everything, especially like gender, gender discrimination and things like that. I think, you know, we're totally on the right track to getting those kinds of human rights out in the open and being discussed. And, you know, hopefully people will start being a lot more understanding uh, about different types of genders and stuff. So that kind of stuff too. Any, any, I feel like all of this stuff though, anything I'm interested in is just so intersectional. Everything weaves into each other, you know, race, gender, um, inequality, like all of that stuff. But um, certainly right now I'm the most, I'm the most interested in, and I probably post the most about inequality from like a socioeconomic perspective and then also just workers' rights in general. Do you feel like the racist experiences you kind of touched on this earlier or you or other models have um, experienced are acts of blatant racism or have more microaggressive tones? And do you feel like they've ever kind of sounded like backhanded compliments? Yeah, 
They definitely were both. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I don't want to repeat myself, but yeah, they definitely were. Some of them are really microaggressive and then others are very blatant. Um, but yeah, I mean, they definitely, can you repeat the last part of that question again? Have you ever felt like they sounded like backhanded compliments? Oh yeah, backhanded comments. Yeah, definitely backhanded compliments for sure, for sure. Like it's it, it was giving very that kind of like, oh, you're so pretty for a brown girl. Like that type of energy without saying it. Like that is like, yeah, you that was rampant, like for sure. I, I have to say not anymore. Definitely not within the last like five years-ish. It's been so different. But in the beginning, for sure, it was like, I should feel super special that I'm there. Like. Mm-hmm. whatever you're you're lucky to have me so <laughs> that was like what I learned you know okay so despite all the models who have been outspoken about issues surrounding discrimination and unawareness in the industry uh, why do you think this is still an ongoing issue because uh the people that are making the decisions are not diverse still um there's still so many people that's changing a lot I will say, but, um, yeah, for the most part, most positions, most people in positions of power are not, uh, they're not people of color. So until we get to those positions, uh, it's really not going to change that much. It is changing a lot in terms of body diversity, which I'm really, really happy about myself. Even I'm not considered a straight size model anymore because I'm not a size four anymore. I'm more of a size eight now, which I'm totally fine with. And it's actually been like the best change for me. So it's, it's changing slowly, but I think a lot of the time we see things happen and we see small changes and we get so happy, but we can't forget that there's, it still has so long to go. And I don't think that it's really going to change until people of color are able to be in some of those really important positions as well. Do you have any advice for other people of color who hope to pursue modeling in the future and how to navigate the unfair hand of cards dealt to them? Yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't, yeah, I definitely wouldn't give people the same advice. It really depends on where you come from, the type of modeling you want to do, like what your background is. It's going to be different for everybody. But I guess I would say really just have a really good head on your shoulders. Speak to a lot of different people. Speak to models that are doing the type of work that you want to do. Make sure you meet with tons of agencies because they're all different. They all go about things differently. You have to find someone that respects you, that works the way that you work. Um, Don't be in your head too much. Oftentimes in this industry, like we take things super, super personally. And sometimes there are things that people want you to, people are like, you shouldn't take that too personally. And it's like, well, it's racist. So I do. So that I understand. But also there are other times when it's really not about you. And uh, it's just one thing I've learned so well from this industry is just to be able to just take criticism and just move on and just know your worth. You know, like if something isn't working for you, you can move on and it's fine. And people don't get to mistreat you and get away with it I've always spoken up about it because I don't think that we should just take things lying down but at the same time I think it's really important to understand the structures that you're working within and that sometimes when you're in these situations you have to also you have to also play the game and that's how you can open doors for other people and I would also say you know um just don't throw around accusations sometimes I find a lot of people do that And I think that this is such a complex industry and it's really just about figuring out where we all fit because there is a place for everyone. 
Um, but at the same time, it's also in a weird way, it's a really small industry too. So, you know, just make sure you're always being, uh, professional and, um, don't let people take advantage of you. Okay. Um, how do you think that the modeling industry can improve and become more inclusive to people of diverse identities? Or what are some ways that you've seen companies acknowledge and improve on this issue? Interesting. Well, I think there's a lot of things that's there's a lot of things that people can do. There's a lot of things that brands really should be doing. I think some brands are doing a really good job of some brands have done it for a really long time too, like Airy for American Eagle, for example, have done like four or five of their campaigns. For, you know, they were they were using diverse bodies and diverse people before it really became a thing even. So I think that's an example of a brand that's doing something really well. I think Fenty is doing a really good job. I've got to model for that brand a bunch of times. That is one brand where I can say Rihanna, definitely her entire team is diverse. So you, you see that reflected in the way that they produce things. Um, but certain brands, I would say, you know, could really take a lot of lessons like Victoria's Secret, for example, right now is trying really hard to like get cool ambassadors and use different body types. And I'm, I'm part of, I think a lot of people are like, it's kind of late. Like you kind of should have been doing this before. And, you know, you're going to need to not throw Priyanka Chopra in our face and make us think that like that's diversity. Cause once again, that's not the representation that I would like. So I just think like they have a lot more research to do and I don't know who was behind the brand, but I don't think that I, they, they're probably not from the demographic that they're probably, that they're trying to sell to, or the de- they're not from the demographic that's criticizing them. That's for sure. And maybe they're not, maybe they don't know a lot about how Gen Z feels about a lot of things, but uh, I think that they are doing things. I would argue they're doing things the wrong way, but I think, yeah, brands like Aerie, brands like Fenty, they, they just get it. They've been doing it for a long time. It's genuine. They have good intention. I think you can look at Patagonia as another example of somebody who is, or a brand that is really trying to not shy away from being political, but also trying to make sustainable choices. So I think those are some examples of brands that are doing good things. Um, I think you mentioned it before, but are there any future projects that you've thought of doing or you're currently working on? I, it's hard because I work full time now in tech. So (laughs) it's hard to, after 40 hours a week, uh, do other things, but I really want to. One thing I'm thinking of doing, and I guess I have to do it now because I'm saying it out loud to you guys, (laughs) is um, I like I'm such a, I have such an attention deficit and I really have a hyperactive brain. So I really like learning things all the time. So I'm also always taking different courses online and like free things. And like, I'm taking one from Robert Reich right now about uh, wealth and equality, uh, wealth and poverty, sorry. And I, one of my ideas, something I really want to do is maybe just start making little summaries of all of the things that I learned, whether it's like Instagram carousels or reels and TikToks and just share what I'm learning and just being able to share that knowledge because I don't really think I'm an expert on anything. And I, that's why I think it's hard for me to find a niche uh, now that I don't model full time anymore. So that's one of the projects I'm thinking of of starting is just like every time I take one of these courses, just kind of summarizing it, maybe doing it like lecture by lecture or whatever and putting out um, some content about each one. Because I think that they're all really interesting. And I also just think that people these days now, like we just expect people to know things. And I'm like, how are people going to know that? Like, they're not like, we're not all able to take in all this knowledge all the time and be super knowledgeable about every little 
thing that's happening in, in the world. So I don't think we should be calling anyone stupid or, you know, I just think it's just about sharing everything that we learn. So that's one thing I am working on right now. I still do journalism. Sometimes I do it mostly within saga. So I'm always like hosting or doing explainers for them. Um, and then I still model sometimes. So I'm busy with that too. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, I'm scared now that I just said it out loud to you guys. Cause now I feel like if I don't do it, I'm going to be like, ah, I told them I was going to do it. <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's my next like idea of content that I want to create for sure. Um, before we close off, is there anything you'd like to let the listeners know? Um, I mean, what kind of things do you, what kind of things are your, are your listeners interested in? Anything um, social justice related, anything about your life or just any piece of advice to end off on? Mm. I mean, I, one thing I would say is when you feel that social movements, the hype around them are over, that is not the time to stop posting or being interesting or being interested or learning about them. Right. Like right now in Ontario, the workers aren't striking, right? They've stopped, uh, they called off the strike yesterday because of, you know, Ford's decision, which is fine, but we're already seeing people aren't really posting about it anymore. And I think that just because the strike is over doesn't mean that we need to stop supporting or stop, you know, writing so hard for essential workers. And in the same way, you know, there's so many other things going on about, for example, like the U, the election in the U.S. right now, too. We have, there's so much going on right now about that. And that's great. When these people get elected, that is not the time to stop talking about it. That is the time to hold them accountable. Are they doing what they said they were going to do? If you're mad about somebody that got elected, are you posting about all the BS that they're doing? Are you doing something to fight back about it? Are you calling your rep, your reps? Are you telling people to vote the next time? Like, I just think that a lot of times we are a lot of people and of course, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people that are very consistent, but a lot of people jump on things when they're really popular and when they're hyped and when it's, you know, media is talking about it, but when it's quote unquote over things lose so much momentum. And I think that if there's one thing I can leave for advice for anybody who's interested in social justice, it's the story doesn't end, right? Like it's, it, it keeps going and we're constantly going to have to fight. We're always going to have to be educating ourselves. If you're interested, if you care, it's not about just posting something on social media, as much as you can talk to the people that are involved, you can try to do things in an, an actionable, like active way. Just make sure that it doesn't just stop with your post. Make sure that it doesn't, that you just don't, you know, become apathetic, apathetic when the story is not cool anymore, because there are real people's lives. Like those education workers are still fighting. They're still negotiating. And guess what? They're still probably only going to get a two, 2% increase when they really deserve 11. So that's creating other problems then in society, right? So let's not stop talking about it. I would say just, you know, from a social justice standpoint, don't allow it to just be when things are cool that you care. If you really care, you should be consistent about it. Yeah, I've yeah. definitely noticed that too, like, especially during the pandemic, people were just, um, or like during the Black Lives Matter movement, when it really took off, people were kind of just a little bit performative sometimes about it. So I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's like, even like, you know, we were like, with our pots and pans for nurses and doctors and whatever. And now like, they're going through a freaking crisis in emergency rooms and nurses are leaving. And like, who's talking about what's going on? Like, they're not, you know, so it's like, 
you can't, we can't only be interested in people's well-being and their rights when it's in front of our, when it's in front of our face. Like, I think we have an obligation um, to, to, to care about it. Now, obviously there's also the fact that a lot of people are working class people, I would say who work really hard. And I would never expect those people to have the time to, to look things up or to, you know, have extra time. They're like people working like three jobs with kids and stuff. I totally understand. I just want to be clear. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that those people are, are apathetic or apathetic, but I'm just saying the people that post once in a while, it's exactly what you said. The people that are being performative, it's like just, just, you know, it's not about just hopping on a bandwagon, I guess. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, make sure to keep up with Shivani by checking out her Instagram at LiveShiv and her website at ShivaniPrasad.com. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. Let me know when it's out.